Welcome to Engage Arizona. In part one of Shepherd to Shepherd, a discussion with Greg Baker, he and Chris St. John address the sticky question, should the paths of public policy and the church cross? And if so, in what way? In part two, Greg explains how, through the Church Ambassador Network, the gospel tears down partisan walls. Here now is Chris St. John with Greg Baker. How can the church and state work together to meet these needs? Because what you and I know, Chris, is that people are physical and spiritual beings. You can't separate the two. And the state is hindered and limited in what it can do for the spiritual being. It needs the church to engage. That's why church programs far exceed government programs in every aspect there is. But more is that nowhere is that more relevant and noticeable than like in drug addictions. Mm. So good. And you said um, we and us a lot as you explained yeah. that meeting. So, and of course, we talked about this in terms of shepherd to shepherd. So, Talk to me a little bit about um, the pastoral partnership, if you would, Greg, um, the the types of pastors that you have joining you in this work in Iowa. I know you've characterized this with, with me as, you know, some are short-term missionaries and others are have been with you in more of a long-term type capacity. And uh, those, uh, those pastors that you bring along with you for these types of meetings, uh, unpack that a little bit for me, if you would. As we're a state of three million people. We have uh, 1,800 evangelical churches in Iowa. And uh, so out of 1,800 evangelical churches, I know those pastors have a long list of things they should do. But no pastor is ever going to check them all off. So I believe every pastor should have a relationship with their governing authorities. I think the model is right there in the Bible. These two shepherds working together for the sake of the community. But I also know, like I said, not every pastor is going to have the ability to do that. The list is too long. So I first off firmly believe God will bring who he brings. And what we typically ask pastors to do is come to the Capitol with us once, and we'll start the legislative branch. And most pastors, they will come once or twice a year, build a relationship with their legislator, they pray. We call them short-term missionaries. But then there's that pastor, for whatever reason, it's above my pay grade, why? God puts a burden of the Iowa Capitol in their heart. And these individuals, as God moves in their heart and leads, will come weekly or bi-weekly. And we now have 20 pastors that come that frequently. And I'm, I'm just blown away. These are guys, some of them from large churches, small churches, you name it. I have one that's got a church of 5,000 people that comes every week. Hmm. Um, because God put it on his heart. It wasn't me. I didn't sell it. There's no way I can sell a church that large to give that kind of amount of time. Right. And what we do with these individuals is they are the ones that will do the majority of the sowing of the word with our governing authorities. What the short-term missionaries do, I, I learned this from our, our church plan, the Dominican Republic. We'll send a couple hundred students and uh, young adults down to the Dominican Republic, the Universidad de San Domingo, campus 120,000 people to share the gospel. And that local church will entertain them for a couple weeks. They will sow the gospel of tens of thousands, and we always leave that local church with a couple hundred names to follow up with. That local church could never sift the large amount of people in that short of a period of time to get to that hundred names. 
but a local church cannot also host that large of a group of people regular enough to be able to actually follow up with those 100 names. You need both. So how I look at it is these pastors that come from the districts, they'll build a relationship with their local legislator. They will help us to see who's spiritually soft, who needs to be followed up with. And the long-term missionaries, they will spend hours upon hours with around 30 to 40 legislators that um, God's just working in. Hmm. I love that so much. And as we see this um, just beginning in its infancy in Arizona, I can already see um, how God is raising up um, some some pastors that are, are catching this fire. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm really encouraged by that. So as you characterize the, that, how it began and how it's continuing uh, years down the road, Greg, um, in Iowa, it's, it's happening in Arizona and I know it's happening in other states around the country. So praise the Lord for that. Um, one thing I wanted to just hit on real quickly, uh, again, um, just as I know that pastors will be listening to this and, and have been familiar with the way that Center for Arizona Policy and other organizations similar to this kind of work have functioned with regard to church engagement, um, you know, especially in election years. Um, I love the way your boss, Bob, has characterized this uh, over the years, you know, that that national groups will helicopter in and, and have their particular kinds of messaging and how they want to leverage the church in particular with whether it's a voter guide or if it's, um, you know, bringing speakers in or those kinds of things, you know, for, for a couple of weeks or six weeks before the elections and, and have that candidate or that voter guide be held above the cross. I'm not sure how exactly how he articulates that. You could probably repeat it verbatim, um, but maybe speak to that just a bit and, and juxtapose that against what the church ambassador network is and how it's so different and unique and stands apart from um, what I just characterized. This is not something helicoptering in and us trying to take over the message of what the local church is doing, especially in an election year. So Chris, I, before knowing the Lord, I was obsessed with Pauline. <laughs> obsessed. Then I first came to know Christ, I changed party affiliations, and I keep a cohort for a reason. I'm a registered independent for the sake of ministry now. But I changed party affiliations after come to know Christ. And my passion, I just switched my party politics for what I thought the church was supposed to be. And what I ultimately had to repent of, I was more passionate about changing people's party affiliations than I was for them to come to know Jesus. Mm. And I had a good friend call me out on it. I'm thankful for him. Yeah. I repented and I started praying that day, God, remove my love for politics. And he did. I don't like it anymore. Another is wrong to engage in. I just needed it gone. It was an idol for me. But I love government. I love civics. Government's an institution of God's. Yep. That says Romans 13, 4, that it's a servant for your good. How do we engage in government in a way that helps people? And uh, we said from day one, we're going to bring pastors to the Capitol. We are not going up there just to pray for a bunch of culture warriors to go into battle. That's not what we're doing. Mm -hmm. We are there to build intentional relationships with the shepherds of God's government, regardless of who they are, where they're from, how they vote. Because we believe that it's by God that kings rise and fall. And we have been committed to work with both sides of the aisle 
and we've been blessed. It's almost like the partisan wall doesn't exist anymore. I don't, I don't even think about it anymore, Chris. It just happens. You begin to see people as people. You begin to see them for the burden that they carry. And it's like, how do I help? And I have learned through the years, too, building relations with hundreds of Republicans and Democrats. Republicans have a huge heart for justice. Democrats have a huge heart for mercy. You know what's really cool about God? He has a heart for justice and mercy. Amen. Yes, he does. And the cross is a symbol of it. Our very faith is a symbol of justice and mercy. If God wasn't merciful, Jesus didn't have to die. He could let us deal with the consequences of his sins. But if God wasn't just, Jesus didn't have to die. God could have just simply forgiven our sins. But it's because he's both just and merciful that Jesus died on the cross. How do we present that to them? How do we help them see who God is in his fullness? Remember what I said at the beginning. We believe as people see Christ accurately and rightly value him, it brings transformation. Amen. That's so good. Well, a couple, couple other questions, and then I, I want to follow up on what you just said toward the end, Greg. And uh, this is so good. So thank you so much for being with me. Um, you're in going into year eight of this work. Um, you've launched, I think, version 2.0, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe even 3.0. We're on 3.0 now. 3.0, that's right, that's right. Tell me a bit what that looks like and what's different now uh, than when you started and how have you leveraged the experience and relationship over time in those eight years? And let me just lead your answer just a little bit um, and tell me just, if you can, maybe just a synopsis of the criminal justice uh, story that you shared with me on the phone. Um, I, I really think that will be helpful, especially on the springboard of what you just said. Not look, You're not looking at people on their party. Uh, you're just looking at people and you can go in and out of relationship and conversation with people, irregardless of party. I really think that helps. So on this 3.0, what does it look like now? What's different than when you started and how have you leveraged experience over, over relationship over those eight years? It's a big question. It is a big question. And I'll do my best job to be succinct. So the biggest thing we added over those years was the element of partnership mm-hmm. that wasn't there in the beginning. I wish it was, but God had to teach us. That's where you all have an incredible blessing, Chris, is you get to start with it. In the partnership in the realm, how do we help you resolve these issues? With the executive branch, that's the hands and feet department. That's where you get messy. You raise up foster care parents. You find a better way to get foster care parents. Yeah. The legislative branch is different. It's the policy branch. Their job is not to implement foster care. They write the policy of foster care. So we thought, how do we partner with the legislative branch? So we built what we call an equipping team, part of our long-term missionaries, that write white papers on big topics from a 10,000-foot view. They can help build a biblical foundation as legislators wrestle through policy. So you brought up criminal justice reform. So we wrote a white paper just on criminal justice reform broadly. And what happens is we go through this white paper, legislators will bring up their own ideas and how it applies to these principles. So with this white paper, we start with what I just shared with you. The cross is a symbol of justice and mercy. And we believe, and it's true, The verdict of guilty on Jesus Christ at the cross was the greatest consequential 
verdict of all human history. All human history looked to it, and all human histories look back to it. That event is cosmic. And you cannot understand any form of justice without it. You can't. And you can't understand how God forgave men like Moses, how God forgave men like uh, Paul, who are murderers, mm -hmm. without understanding the cross. You can't. Because justice and mercy are symbolized collectively together that day on Calvary. So we walked through the story of the cross with 23 of the Iowa Judiciary Committee members. So many members are on the committee. And now, because of a couple criminal justice bills they were working on or going to the full floor, we'll be able to work on 77 of them. So we will share the gospel with all 100 members of the Iowa House using criminal justice reform as our platform. So we start with that story, and we go into five points that we believe are essential for any form of criminal justice for the sake of your call here. I'll just briefly share them. Government is the people's servant. This includes police officers, judges, attorneys, juries. Government should be a dread for the wrongdoer, sense of peace for the innocent. Justice to be fair and balanced. It's not to be partial. We're to honor and pray for all of those in authority, including those who serve in a criminal justice system. And the last ones in which allowed us the most conversations, criminal punishment should be relegated to a specific sentence, not become a lifelong identifier. And the question we have asked all 23 legislators is, why isn't in Iowa we ask, are you a felon, as opposed to have you committed felonies? The answer to the question, no matter which way you ask it, gives us the piece of information you need. But it has taken two completely different angles. One is creating an idea of an identity of felon for the rest of long after you paid your time. And that doesn't line up with the gospel. I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where, where Paul says that there are a long list of sins, so were some of you. He uses that word were. What was the difference that allowed them to get were put in there? The penalty was dealt with. The identity ended with the payment of the penalty. And that is the beauty of the gospel. So were some of you. And hmm. this conversation, what happened as we walked through this white paper is different legislators came with different ideas. Like, oh, I'm working on this. I'm working on this. We didn't lobby anything. But they're just talking about it. They're wrestling with this. Does this fit in there? Both sides of the aisle. And we had one Democrat lawmaker who's been the minority party for 11 years say I introduced this bill. I said, that's a great bill. Where is it? It doesn't have a subcommittee. Why not? Because I'm a minority party member. Minority party members don't get subcommittees. So that's not right. It's a good idea. It should get a subcommittee. So I went to the chairman of the committee and I said, this needs a sub. And I went through the same presentation with him. And at first he was hesitant. He was struggling with the idea of felonies. And I told him, you know, Apostle Paul was a murderer. King David was a murderer. And Moses was a murderer. God used them. And we are talking about such a low level of crime here that's not even close to the area of murder. I encourage you to read the bill and tell me whether or not that's fair. What we're looking to do for punishment. Chairman Holt came out and said, I read the bill, and I'm going to give you a sub. 
this woman who has never had a sub on one of her pieces of legislation, 11 years she's been the minority party, had her sub. Hmm. And she thanked the church ambassador network for it repeatedly. Her 11 co-sponsors were there. They thanked us, all Democrats. A pastor that came from one of their districts that next week, who had never been able to pull her out before or pray with her, she led him into the chambers and gave him a tour. We since passed the bill through the whole committee. And we're now prepared to just bring this white paper to the full floor. And the crazy thing is, Chris, we never once tell someone to vote yes or no, ever, in the whole process. We simply walk through the gospel, tie it into criminal justice, point to this as an example of something to be wrestled with. And the gospel alone, they wrestle through it, and they come to the conclusion they should vote yes. Because the gospel put them there. The gospel message caused a subcommittee to form, breaking 100-year-old party tradition. The gospel alone passed a bill unanimously at a subcommittee. And I believe the gospel alone will take a Democrat bill out of the Republican House of Representatives. Hmm. And one of the things you had said to me on the phone was that this member that had this bill, you hadn't really talked to ever preceding this bill, right? And you have been talking to her and greeting her in the hallway over the last couple of weeks. So it's also She just did a Zoom with us with a bunch of pastors. We had to... Got to have half an hour with her. So you're moving at the speed of relationship, which for those mm-hmm. of you that are listening to this, this is my friend Greg's. Um, I don't want to use the word mantra, but this this is his marching order that he's given to us as uh, those that are leading the church ambassador network in, in across the states that we are moving at the speed of relationship, both in terms of uh the pastoral relationships with with our pastoral shepherd leaders, but also with elected officials and governmental leaders. And um, I have to remind myself of that because I want to put this thing in the microwave and put it on for 30 seconds and watch it come out and taste okay. But this thing is going in the, in the crock pot, if you will, and it's going to come out juicy and savory and it's going to taste good. And uh, this is, this is um, Church Ambassador Network 3.0 and it took into the eighth year for uh, Greg and his counterparts in uh, the Church Ambassador Network in Iowa for them to really see this kind of breakthrough where this type of um, gospel story, this reconciliation story of a, of a, um, of a bill to, to go through a subcommittee unanimously and work with a Democrat legislator uh, on a criminal justice reform. I mean, that's that's incredible stuff. So it's moving at the speed of relationships with elected officials in a way that uh, things are getting done. And uh, it's, it's getting done uh, the Lord's way. So it's really exciting. So Greg, I want to thank you uh, for your faithfulness, uh, for your just sharing your testimony today. Um, a guy who's been walking with the Lord, um, what, nine years now? It'll be my 11th in April. 11th in April. I'm bad at math. That's why God oh, called me fine. ministry. But um, man, uh, just God's anointing on you is incredible. And uh, so I want to thank you for just sharing your heart and your story, um, for your availability to be used for the kingdom and, and how God is uh, bringing this to scale across the country. And I just want to bring this down to uh, uh just a personal note for those that are listening today that 
um, here in Arizona, we are uh, excited to bring what's what we're calling the Arizona Capital Project here to our state. And whether you live in Window Rock or in Sierra Vista or somewhere in between, um, your local church can be used effectively to reach our elected officials uh, for the gospel. And we would like to invite you to join us in this gospel work. And so if you just want to reach out to us at azcapitalproject.com, just drop us a note uh, and get to know us better. We would love to just share with you what God's going to be doing here in Arizona uh, this year and beyond uh, because we are just, we're moving at the speed of relationship and we just trust that the Lord has great things in store ahead uh, here in Arizona. And I also believe, and this is just a personal note of accountability, that God is going to bring this to the other Western states and God is going to use Arizona to help bring this into uh, some of these states uh, in the Rocky Mountains. West. So I'm excited to see uh, what the Lord will do. But Greg, thank you, brother, for uh, joining me today on Engage Arizona. You are my friend and you're my coworker and co-laborer in the gospel. And I appreciate you with all my heart. Love you a lot, Chris. Thanks for having me on today. Love you, my brother. Thank you for listening to Engage Arizona, public policy for daily life. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe, rate, and give a review on any podcast platform you use. For more information, visit azpolicy.org.